You just heard from my beautiful wife, Susan, and I just want to acknowledge her as my beautiful wife. Uh, without her, I would be able to do nothing, so I want to give her a hand just for allowing me to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's embarrassed when I do that, but, but she'd be angry if I didn't, so I don't know. <laughs> Such is family. We, are, we have, uh, on the tail end of, uh, of about three weeks in, in Europe, we brought a team of 18 young people with us, and uh, most of them stayed in Geneva in France, and we were helping a ministry there. Uh, we were able to bring Seth and Seth and Amy along with us, and Dee, I must say that I, they've been called a lot of things, but Seth and Seth have never been called angels before. Um, we have to reassess that when we get back home. And <laughs> I don't want to be unaware of uh, what we're entertaining. Uh, I do want to give a special thanks uh, to Paul and Ruthie Thompson. They have just been the most wonderful hosts during our time here. And uh, Paul and Ruthie, uh, I don't know where Paul is. Paul's hiding behind the sound. Uh, I just thank you all. Uh, what a blessing. What a blessing it's been. And for all the wonderful people of Ipswich, I, this is our first time in this section of the country. And, uh, and actually, uh, I, I've spoken in, in a number of places in England. Uh, I've only spoken in one other church, and it was an Anglican church. It was a little bit different than this one. And, uh, but uh, we're just honored and blessed to be here this morning, and we thank you for the opportunity. But can we pray again? Lord, you used the the weak things of earth to expound your power. You perfect your power through all of our weaknesses. And I just pray this morning that you would take this weak vessel and the power of God would flow through. That there be anointing, anointing not only the words that are spoken, but also in the hearers that are hearing that we would be able to do what we hear. We turn to you, O oh God, and we ask that your spirit would guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord called 12 disciples for a special purpose. But there were hundreds who followed Jesus who were sincere believers, but who were unnoticed. So not everyone will have an experience like Paul. Paul was extraordinary for a purpose. But the majority of us simply just go unnoticed. If we then make the extraordinary as a model for Christianity, we erect a wrong standard of Christianity. Uh, and in years to come, I believe we will emulate what I would call a spiritual abortion or, or at the very least, uh, a miserable and intolerant unlikeness of Jesus Christ. During this Sermon on the Mount, which Susan read, Jesus said these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor, or the pauper, is exceedingly commonplace. 
You know, much of what we hear today emphasizes the strength of will and uh, the beauty of character, uh, things that are noticed. Uh, and rightly so. As a matter of fact, in our ministry, this is, what we, this is what we emphasize, especially with young people and families that come. But not at the expense of the character of poverty, which emphasizes a loveliness of the commonplace. Jesus said, I am blessed when I am poor in spirit. He was not emphasizing the strength of will or the nobility of character. The truth is, I will not enter the kingdom of heaven because I am good. That may shock some of you. I will not enter the kingdom of heaven because I'm a good man or I'm a good woman. I can only enter if I am poor. A number of years ago, I was reading in Kings, and I was enlightened that it took Solomon over 13 years to build his own house. Uh, I mean, this was a huge structure. And in the seventh chapter of 1 Kings, uh, the 19th verse, I, I discovered an amazing fact, and it reads like this, and the capitals... And capitals in architectural language means the upper ends of a column, like you would have here. And the capitals, which were on the top of the pillars in the porch, were of lily design. I mean, normally, as I read through scriptures, I would pass over such a minor detail, but this passage somehow inspired by the Holy Spirit, made me aware of the hidden beauty in the details of the structures in Solomon's home. Several years back, we we took young people who were at the end going through a program at that time to Washington, D.C. We wanted them to understand the history of our nation and its Biblical foundations. We, we visited a number of huge buildings, and, I mean, which are beautiful and magnificent. And, uh, but as we were going through these buildings, and upon closer observation, I mean, we started seeing these, these intricate designs. And, and in the intricacy of the details, uh, another beauty began to emerge. Just this past week, uh, we were honored to be taken on a tour through one of the more elite watch factories in Switzerland. I mean, I've often wondered why anyone would pay so much for a watch. But when I observe the care along with the, I'd have to describe it as compassionate craftsmanship. 
uh, of the individual watchmakers and, and, the, and the preciseness of the details that goes into making an elegant watch, I then marveled that the price was too low for such a masterpiece. The unnoticed becomes a loveliness beyond what we would normally recognize. You see, we notice only the buildings or the prize. But God notices the intricate designs, especially in our lives. In the Song of Solomon, in the second chapter, in the second verse, he writes, Like a lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the maidens. You know, the lily that Solomon refers to is as common as the American daisy. (laughs) The picture is of someone who is passing by a thorny, rocky field and, and either a flower is noticed or the aroma of the flower is, is wafting from the thorns. Have you ever, have you ever walked by or entered someone's home and a beautiful fragment, fragrance or influence uh, emanates from within its boundaries? You, you take away all the noticeable, visible things of the home and, and tucked away somewhere is a mother or a daughter, a real lily of the Lord, living their lives in an unnoticeable way, which creates a beauty in the sight of the Lord. Have you ever been around a man who has no seemingly great qualities? And yet some type of marvelous influence radiates from him? Over 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah speaks of the Lord as a root out of a parched land. In the 53rd chapter, Isaiah writes, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was thoroughly without great noticeable quality. But this is what Isaiah said what the Son of God would be like. You see, true loveliness of the Lord is unconscious of its own loveliness. I think a lesson to be learned is that when we begin to wonder if we are of any use or wonder how effective are our works, we instantly lose 
the bloom of the touch of the Lord in our lives. Have you wondered if what you do is worth it? Jesus said, He who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I believe if we give too much attention to understanding what is coming out of us, the noticeable, we will lose touch with the source. But if we pay attention to the source, he will look after the overflow of what comes out of us. And it will be like rivers. Oh, hallelujah. I mean, picture the Last Supper. John thirteen three says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and was going back to God. I, I believe at that moment, if the archangel appeared with, with 10,000 angels behind him, or if, if the voice of God had thundered in and, and shook everyone with a godly fear, or if there had been another transfiguration uh, with, with Moses and Elijah appearing, I think the disciples would have been awestruck and and perhaps thought, now now this is the way it ought to be. I I feel like that's what our churches are wanting to do. They want this mighty presence of God. Then, Then we'll know that we are on the right track. But Jesus. Jesus arose. He laid aside his garments. He took a towel, girded himself, and began to wash feet. Could anything have been more commonplace? I mean, every unnoticeable servant did this in that day. But with Jesus... The most commonplace, ordinary act was meaningful. I mean, today, if we would have a feet washing or a baptism or anything, I mean, it, it almost has to be glamorized in order to have any meaning. But, but Jesus does it. And the most common of acts becomes wonderful. Many who saw Jesus while on earth saw nothing in him. Even those who were closest to him on on the road to Emmaus. I mean, their eyes were not open until they received the Holy Spirit. And then, and then, they were overwhelmed by the loveliness of whom they had been with. I have seen my precious wife lay down her life for her children and for her home and there is nothing advertised in the newspaper 
or the local news for her doing it. I have seen countless fathers sacrificing everything that they know to provide for their families. And there's nothing glamorous about it. In our country, Hollywood has even belittled the role of the father and said it's even not even good enough for film anymore. John wrote about Jesus. He said, we know by this that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our life for the brethren. I think Oswald Chambers said it best when he wrote, Jesus came into this world, but he did not come from it. He is not an historical figure. He came into history from the outside. He is not the best human the earth has ever produced. He is a holy being the earth can take no credit for. He was not a man becoming God. He is God becoming man. And he is the holiest of all, becoming the most humble of all. Jesus also came to a very drab countryside and was born in an unnoticeable stable in a common town, Bethlehem. Bethlehem was commonly small. Micah says, but as for you, O Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Speaking of Jesus. Today, Bethlehem is a a village sitting on a, a limestone ridge with one chief street and a population of about 3,000. The slopes outside have figs, vines, almonds, and olives. It's just a common place. One would not even notice it, except and in the same way that he came to earth, and in the same way that he comes and had come to Bethlehem, he comes to us. He comes from the outside in. You and I are now his Bethlehem. We're just commonplace, ordinary people. The fact that Dee and Sue ask us to pray for just the common, ordinary brothers and sisters in other parts of the world assures us of one thing, that he will visit them. 
He will take care of them. And you. And me. So, how does he find you this morning? Does he find you as a busy end? Too full to abide there? Or does he find you like a dark and lonely stable, stale and cold on the inside? Maybe he finds you as a light on the hill. Or maybe as a smoldering candle, barely seen in the adverse winds of simple living. And how loud does he have to knock? Is the noise so great? Or is the door open just enough so he can squeeze through to come on in? How does he find you? Our unnoticed lives in this world do not go unnoticed by God. At the top of the columns of our homes are the intricate intricate designs that comprise the beautiful tapestries of kingdom living. This is where he chooses to abide. This this is where the lily of the valley blossoms. In you and in me. Our happiness is usually contained right under our noses in the common and in the everyday. We know people that travel all over the world looking for fulfillment only to find it residing in their own backyard. This is a short message this morning. This is at the end of us talking about family and, and relationships. But if, if the Lord would come today, if He would come this morning, if He would come this, this afternoon, would He smell the fragrance of the lily amongst the thorns? Would He come into this Bethlehem? When he does come, I find that I am conformed into a new way of life. His presence within strengthens me, it heals me, it delivers me, it guides me. I find that he uncovers a beauty from within that flows out in the simplicity of a love life for others. Susan and I desired for him to come in the Bethlehem known as our family. And he came. 
And he still abides there. He changed our lives. He changed the lives of our children. And now he's changing the lives of our grandchildren. Hallelujah. We desire for him to come into all the families of this earth. We desire for him to come into Bethlehem known as Burlington Baptist. And through her, he would usher in the kingdom of heaven on earth. Maybe you just consider that you're just common, that you have nothing to offer. But I think the Lord sees the the design of the lily in each and every one of you. And I pray that you'll let him just come in and abide. And your lives will never be the same again. Amen.